I was a senior pastor here for what, 33 years and I never lit a candle, but today I did. (laughs) And David in his wisdom as the new senior pastor, well new as of a few years ago, um, thought this was a good idea. And I think it is a good idea uh, because tradition actually has a really important place in our lives. The traditions that Jesus criticized were the traditions of men that were contrary to the word of God. He didn't criticize traditions that are useful. So not tradition as such. The fact that you put a Christmas tree up in your house every year is a tradition, not just a family one, a Christian cultural one. And there's lots of others like that. And so this is helpful because in this modern day, we lose track of time. I think despite the fact that we've got all the help in the world, iPads and phones and every other thing, um, often you you lose track of the passage of time and it's you don't even keep track of the real season you're in. Anyway, this helps us because four Sundays of Advent, if you're in a, in a liturgical church, this comes up every year and always the same themes. So first Sunday of Advent, hope. Second Sunday of Advent, peace. Third, joy. And the fourth one, can anybody remember? Love. And then this is the Christ candle. So I guess come Christmas Day, we like that too. Um, you two on the same day. So, so there you are. Well, anyway, my job today is to talk about that theme. And uh, you are going to help me because we together are going to pause for a moment's prayer and ask the Lord to do what he loves to do, and that is teach us. Give us depth of understanding, open the eyes of our heart and so on. So let's take a minute now because you've got to believe as well as me. Father, we thank you that the Holy Spirit is our teacher. We thank you the word of God is alive. This is the living Christ and it's our salvation. Thank you. The Spirit of God is for us, the breath of God. Today, be our teacher. Let understanding go deep to the heart. May the mind of the Lord be fully formed in us. Lord, give us eyes to see and ears to hear today, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Well, now, God is called, in the Bible, the God of peace. And Jesus, in the Bible, is called the Prince of Peace. Not only that, but the eternal covenant that God has made with us in the blood of his Son is called, in the Bible, the covenant of peace. Not only so, the gospel itself is called, in the Bible, the gospel of peace. Isn't that interesting? So no wonder the Lord said to me years ago when I was digging a hole in the backyard, I have given you a powerful name. That is, we, we have that name on the church. So now realize that this is not just any vague identity. It's a strong identity. Surprising to me that lots of other people in the world don't use it, but we have it. I didn't even know the Lord had given it to us, but he said he gave it to us. So there you are, and that it was a powerful name. Useful, it turns out, especially when you study the real meaning, the power behind that term, the the power that flows in the anointing of peace. Anyway, here's Isaiah. We're going to take a look at how, how much this word tends to come up for our instruction. Here's Isaiah verse 6 to 9. One of the most famous Christmas passages of all. 
And uh, so, for to us a child is born. Now remember this prophecy was written a long, long time before Jesus was born. We're talking here 700 years. For to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the increase of his government and of peace, you get that? Of the increase of his government and of the increase of peace. There will be no end. On the throne of David and over his kingdom to establish it and to uphold it with justice and with righteousness from this time forth and forever. That is from the time of Christ and forever. There will be no end to its progress, its growth. The zeal of the Lord of hosts will accomplish that. That's like God saying, uh, I'm behind this and nothing's going to shift it or change it. So there you are. Well, what is the peace that is promised or talked about at Christmas? If, if Christ came to bring us peace, and if of the increase of his government of, and of peace, if that's the message, what is that peace? What, what is being spoken of? What particular kind of peace? Let me take you to an Old Testament type. I don't know whether it's officially recognized as a type by anybody else in this world, but for our purpose today, we'll call it a type. And that is Gideon, a type of Jesus, let's say. So you know the story of Gideon. He's uh, just an obscure fellow in Israel. The Lord selects him, gives him a job. Angel turns up, tells him what the job is. And um, he was let loose but then the Lord stripped away a whole lot of things down to what? Very few people and with very few people with much, not much to go on. He rid the land of its enemies and he established peace in the land. While he was alive, that whole land enjoyed rest, the Bible says. So quite a work. Well, here's, here's one little text out of his story. This is Judges 6. Then Gideon perceived that he was the angel of the Lord. Not that he personally was. No, he was looking at he suddenly is confronted by the Lord and all of a sudden Gideon perceives this is the angel of the Lord. The Hebrews always thought in terms of angels when, when it was the Lord turning up. Um, you know, that's part of the old covenant. And Gideon said, alas, O Lord God, for now I've seen the angel of the Lord face to face because they thought they were going to die. But the Lord said, peace be to you. In other words, the Lord himself speaks this word over Gideon. Peace to you. Speak shalom over him. Powerful, powerful word. Do not fear, you shall not die. Then Gideon built an altar there to the Lord and called it, the Lord is peace. This is where we get the name Jehovah Shalom. And there's quite a few stories in the Old Testament where somebody comes up with another name. So we've got a whole list of these. But this one, Jehovah Shalom, to this day it stands and so on. Now here's, here's the type of Christ in this sense. If you let Jesus loose, Gideon was let loose in that land. You would have thought he had not much to work with, but he brought about a huge transformation. And the Bible says you are God's field. And if you let Jesus loose in your land, that is the land of your life, you might not think he's got much there to work with, but I tell you what, he will transform the land 
and he will progressively drive out the enemies that are in your land, that is in your life. So in that sense for us today, he's a type and he will in your land, that is in your heart, bring you peace. All right, we go to the Christmas story proper. New Testament, in Luke 1, 77 to AD, we get a, a little bit of the story of Zechariah. Now, Zechariah is the father of John the Baptist. And you remember um, some very interesting things happened to Zechariah. He was struck dumb for nine months to start with because he wasn't quite believing what the Lord told him about this boy that would be born. Well, even that there would be a baby, but there was. And so on the day he's born, he, and he comes to name him. Now his tongue is let loose. And he comes out with some of the most amazing statements. But his statements um, are about his son John, but in the middle of it, he talks about Jesus, which is why John was here. Now, that's the bit I want to show you. So in the middle of his speech, now remember, when we start reading here, he's talking about John. So that's where we'll begin, verse 77, to give knowledge of salvation to his people in the forgiveness of their sins because of the tender mercy of our God, whereby the sunrise shall visit us. This is a reference to Jesus. Jesus is coming. John is going to prepare the way. And the astounding thing is John did. You know, in a mere six months, John turned that whole nation back to a whole lot of right ways of thinking. It's kind of like he brought a huge amount of reform to Judaism in, in preparation for Jesus. And this is what um, Zechariah is talking about to give knowledge of salvation to his people in the forgiveness of their sins because the tender mercy of our God, whereby, uh, well, it's because of John, Jesus could come. So that, now we get to that. Whereby the sunrise, this is Jesus. Do you remember there was a prophecy that said that um, the peop- uh, upon the people who live in darkness, a great light has come. This is what it's talking about. The sunrise shall visit us from on high to... Give light to those who sit in darkness and in the shadow of death to guide our feet into the way of peace. And the child grew and became strong in spirit and was in the wilderness until the day of his public appearance to Israel. Now, now we go to the birth of Jesus, which is in the next chapter of Luke. And first of all, we get this bit with the angels. Uh, The angels appear to the shepherds, for unto you is born this day in the city of David a Saviour, who is Christ the Lord, and this will be a sign to you. You will find a baby wrapped in swaddling clothes and lying in a manger, and suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly host, praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace. Now, you can't put the full stop there, because that's not the message. It says, now the Christmas message is actually not peace to all. It's on earth peace among those with whom he is pleased. In other words, there's got to be some response to the Lord. There's got to be some yielding of the heart. You can't hate him. You can't hide from him because you despise him. In fact, There's a lot of things in this world that the Lord does to reveal what is actually in the human heart of every single one of us. This is a very important, the the short life you live on earth, and by the way, it's a very short life, is all about showing what kind of heart you have. 
because it positions you for eternity. So, and on earth peace among those with whom he is pleased. And then the angels went from them into heaven and the shepherd said, let's go and have a look. Well, meanwhile, Jesus is born, but eight days old is, is presented at the temple for his dedication. On the eighth day is when they were circumcised and dedicated to the Lord. So Joseph and Mary bring him to the temple in Jerusalem, which is just up the road from Bethlehem. And uh, now we read about Simeon. Now there was a man in Jerusalem whose name was Simeon. And this man was righteous and devout, waiting for the consolation of Israel. Now just pause there for a moment. I want you to stare at that phrase for a minute. There's two parts. He's waiting for something. He's been waiting. What was he waiting for? It says the consolation of Israel. Now, in a, in a couple of minutes, I'm going to come back and tell you about what, what's behind that idea, why this phrase was used. So Simeon was waiting for the consolation of Israel and the Holy Spirit was upon him and it had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not see death. In other words, he would not die before he had seen the Christ, the Messiah. And so he came in the spirit into the temple. So on the right day, the spirit of the Lord make sure he's there. And when, the, and when the parents brought in the child Jesus to do for him according to the custom of the law, Simeon took him up in his arms and blessed God and said, Lord, now you are letting your servant depart in peace. So Simeon regarded this great sense of shalom upon his heart uh, as, as he could now die. He could now pass into the presence of the Lord in, in huge satisfaction that he'd seen the, uh, the fulfillment of all this prophecy and finally at last the Messiah. According to your word, for my eyes have seen your salvation. He's talking about a person that you have prepared in the presence of all peoples a light for revelation to the Gentiles. Simeon got this right. This was someone who's going to affect the whole world and for the glory of your people, Israel. A little more here from Simeon, though. Remember, so far all the talk's been about peace, but look at this part also from Simeon. Then Simeon blessed them and said to Mary, his mother, this child is destined to cause the falling and rising of many in Israel. In other words, many will fall because of him. Many others will rise because of him. And to be a sign that will be spoken against. Yes, he'll have enemies. So that, look at, look at the truth here. So that the thoughts of many hearts will be revealed. So when... In society, Christ is condemned. It's actually revealing something about the hearts of everybody around, one way or another. And he says to Mary, a sword will pierce your own soul too. Doesn't sound much like peace for Mary in the end, does it? But no, you've got to see the bigger picture. 
Mary in the end had great peace, lived in the house of the apostle John, knew more fully in the end who her son really had been and was. Now, why, why was the Prince of Peace going to cause the rising and falling of so many? And why was the Prince of Peace going to be so spoken against? And why would it be that the Prince of Peace would cause a sword to pierce the heart of his own mother? And the simple answer is because the redemption of mankind, that is the redemption of Adam's helpless race, is costly. The word Adam, by the way, simply means man. The Adam's helpless race is a phrase out of an old hymn. In other words, the redemption of men and women, the redemption of, the, of our fallen lives is very costly. One more thing from the temple. Story of Anna, just a few, few more verses along in the same chapter. This happened at the same time, presentation of Jesus. There was all, remember, Jesus eight days old. Looks like any other baby. Mary and Joseph looked like any other couple. There was also a prophetess, Anna, the daughter of Phanuel of the tribe of Asher. She was very old. She'd lived with her husband seven years after her marriage and then was a widow until she was 84. She never left the temple, but worshiped night and day, fasting and praying. Coming up to them at that very moment, she gave thanks to God and this is, a, this is more than what she did in just that moment. She spoke about the child to all who were looking forward to the redemption of Israel. In other words, she kept on talking about this for days and weeks and months. She spoke about the child to all who were looking forward to the redemption of Israel. Now, do you see this little phrase here, redemption of Israel? This comes up in the story of Ammon. What was the phrase we had before in the story of Simeon? He was waiting for the consolation of Israel. So we get these two phrases, the consolation of Israel and the redemption of Israel. What? Uh, sorry, redemption of Jerusalem in this case. What is this about? So this is where I want to give you a little background. The Old Testament scriptures, that is the Hebrew scriptures, were full of prophecies, and declarations and allusions to this very thing. That someone was coming, that a day would come when the Lord did amazing things, things would be turned around, all kinds of healings would take place, all kinds of deliverances from enemies. And all of this seemed to be focused in one person who was going to arise. And so there was in, in Israel of the day, this phrase, this was a common phrase, the consolation of Israel. Now, of course, what we're dealing here with is an English phrase translated from a Greek <laughs> phrase that was translated from a Hebrew one. So this is not the exact words, but this is as close as we can get in English to a phrase the Jews had that was a key buzzword religiously and culturally for them. They were waiting for 
the consolation of Israel. They were waiting for the redemption of Israel. They were looking forward to it. It was their great hope the Messiah would come and he was the consolation of Israel. And this thing, this idea in their hearts, this expectation, this hope, the anticipation, the belief that this was real and coming was so great that it was even used as a basis for their oaths and vows and declarations. So, so a typical Jewish vow, if, if someone was telling a story and they wanted to, to, to swear it's true, you know, or, or assure someone this is the truth, they would say something like, may I never see the consolation of Israel if this is not true, you know, or similar things, you know. <laughs> so uh, it, it was a thing. It was a big deal. And so Simeon was waiting for it. Now, here's a couple of examples. Actually, once I started looking for these, I was overwhelmed. And I can't, we just can't show you uh, just how astounding it all is. But I can give you a couple of examples of the kinds of things that were written in the Old Testament that had so clearly established this hope in Israel. So here's, uh, here's, here's Isaiah 25, just verses eight and nine. He will swallow up death forever. This sounds like the talk about Jesus, doesn't it? And yet all this was veiled in secrecy and mystery. And the Lord God will wipe away tears from all faces and the reproach of his people will be taken from all the earth. For the Lord has spoken. It will be said on that day, behold, this is our God. We have waited for him that he might save us. This is the Lord. We've waited for him. Let us be glad and rejoice. It's pretty clear, isn't it? Way back 700 years before. Here's another one from Isaiah. 57, I have seen his ways. Now, this is God talking now, and he's talking about Israel. I have seen his ways, but I will heal him. I will lead him and restore him and comfort to, uh, restore comfort to him and his mourners, creating the fruit of the lips, peace, peace to the far and to the near. The far and the near, of course, meant all over the world. And I will heal him. And this is just a few of a multitude of scriptures. But this one, I'll give you one more. This is one more familiar with you. Do you remember, do you remember the day, it's in Luke 4, after Jesus comes out of the wilderness, 40 days in the wilderness, fasting prayer, he, co- he goes to, to Nazareth, he goes into the synagogue, it's his turn to read the Bible, he gets up, he finds the place in the scroll. Imagine the, the, the scroll of Isaiah the prophet is handed to you and it's a whopping scroll, you know, two, two big circles. But you've got to, there's no chapter verses and numbers. You know, there's no chapter numbers, verse numbers. You just got to have, you've got some idea of where it is in this huge thing. So you, you're there for a little while rolling it. You've got to unroll this bit, roll this bit up. You know, roll, 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 roll. It, it, the Bible, Luke 4 says, it actually says, he found the place where it was written. Perhaps some angel had made sure it was fairly close, you know. But what do you do? You open it up and you start reading. And that's the only way you know how far you are through, whether, you, whether you're, one side of it or the other, so you've got to roll in the other direction. In other words, friends, they knew their Bible like we're supposed to. Like every single person sitting here, well, almost, let's say all the people who've been in church for a while, probably should remember that the passage Jesus read, he was quoting Isaiah chapter 61, except they didn't have the number. But that's where we find it. Now, this is the one where Jesus stood up and said, the Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he's anointed me. You know, preach good news to the captive and recovery. Remember that bit? 
Well, when you go back to the prophet Isaiah 61, the passage is actually a bit longer than the bit he quoted. So uh, this is my third example of what was in the Old Testament. And we're going to read not the, the shorter part Jesus quoted, but the slightly longer part. All right. So Isaiah 61, first four verses. The spirit of the Lord, God is upon me because the Lord has anointed me to bring good news to the poor. He sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives and the opening of the prison to those who are bound, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. That's where Jesus stopped. And the day of vengeance of our God to comfort all in mourn. See that phrase there, to comfort all who mourn. That's the consolation of Israel. That's the, and this whole thing's about the redemption of Israel. And then verse three, to grant to those who mourn in Zion, to give them a beautiful headdress instead of ashes, the oil of gladness instead of mourning, the garment of praise instead of a faint heart, and that they may be called oaks of righteousness, the planting of the Lord, that he may be glorified. That's the Lord be glorified. They shall build up the ancient ruins. They shall raise up the former devastations. They shall repair the ruined cities, the devastations of many generations. In other words, a huge work was going to go on. Now, Jesus then is the consolation of Israel, but they were expecting something physical and tangible, something of the nature of an earthly kingdom, something like when King David was king and you conquered the nations around about and Israel was in the ascendancy and had lots of gold and prosperity, you know, and and, uh, you were were just the ants pants amongst the nations, you know, as, as far as you can see. This is not what Jesus had in mind. The peace he had in mind, the restoration he had in mind, the redemption he had in mind was of another order altogether. And this is why when we talk about peace at Christmas, you've got to have a handle on the peace we're talking about. But of course, in Christ, there is huge consolation. Think about the consolation of who he is in our lives and of the power of his blood and of the righteousness he gives and of the sacrifice he made and of his fullness all around us and, of, and his power and how he comforts us. His consolations are not small. His consolations are huge and we all have them. The, the word he gives us, the spirit he gives us, the pardon he gives us, the grace he extends to every one of us, the healings we receive, all the promises we've received, We thank God. We have a wonderful Messiah. Which brings us to Jesus. And uh, finally, this is where we can land our our thinking today. Here's what Jesus said. Now, if we're going to now try and define more simply, a little bit more closely, what is the peace that Jesus brings? Jesus said in John 16, 33, I have said these things to you that in me you may have peace. So this is the first thing to understand. You only get this peace in him. He says, in the world you'll have tribulation. Ah, so the world is not going to totally change. In fact, do you know that most people, even Christians or not Christians, the the people who tend to, to do well, they build big corporations or they amass wealth or they 
break through politically or I'm talking about the good people, not the bad ones. Do you know that when you hear something about their lives, like if they talk about their lives, they will invariably say it wasn't easy. Life was tough, you know, but they worked hard and they stuck at it and they got there in the end. No, in the world you'll have tribulation. Do you know why? Because without it, you're no good. Without struggle and effort and applying ourselves and discipline and hard work, there's not one of us that's any good. What we're supposed to do is find ourselves in Christ, find Christ in us, this, this meets the perfect need of each one of us in time and in eternity and, and filled with his power and growing in the characteristics that come from growing to be like Jesus, we can face the world we live in properly and then by so facing the world we live in, we become far better people. We become fully formed in other words, it's only in the struggle and the trial and the testing and the difficult moments, as well as all the beautiful moments, because we get those too. It's only with all of that together you, you can live a balanced life in which you truly become mature, truly become someone of faith and of trust and of hope and of love. And, but it's only by having Christ within that you're filled with peace, you're assured of your future, and there is all around you the kind of blessing and favor and protection and hope that you need. So he says, take heart. I have overcome the world. In the world you'll have tribulation, but take heart. So the real peace that we have in Christ is um, meant to put us in this position where we are so filled with something from him, something in us has changed, we can, by grace, take heart and deal with the world. He overcame it and we can overcome it too. So that gives us a passage like this one. This is Romans chapter 5. And uh, this is a lovely summary. Uh, particularly the first two verses, but we'll read in a moment the, other, the next three. Romans 5, therefore... Since we've been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Uh, in fact, that's a verse I never forget. It often comes to mind. In fact, if ever I think of the word peace, that's the first thing that comes to mind. We have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. That's the phrase, constantly in the back of my mind. Peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Now, it's by putting our faith in Christ we find that peace. But we find uh, it does a bit more through him, that is through Jesus, is verse 2. We have also obtained access into grace. But again, it's access by faith. So faith brought us into peace. Faith brings us into grace. We stand in that grace and then look what's get added. We rejoice in hope, which is what David spoke about last week. We rejoice in hope. So here we have faith and peace and hope all interconnected. And if you want to, you know, last week David began to talk about hope and he talked about 
you know, briefly about his relationship, hope and faith, because they, they sound the same to a lot of people, but they're not the same. Now, let me tell you this. Suppose you're painting your house and you want to get a real nice gloss finish on your window frames and on your door frames and on the door. And here it is, a raw door, raw timber. Okay, go down to Bunnings, buy yourself a can of the shiny gloss paint you need, get your brush, whack it on the door. Is this going to do the job? Dear friends, you just made a mess. You don't know it yet, but the day will come. Ah, and the work you'll have to do then to rub that back and start all over. No, there's a mighty lot of paint in this world that will not work properly, will not stick for very long, unless it has something underneath it that goes in between the door and the top coat. What's it called? Undercoat or primer. You can get some combo things these days. You have got to put a base coat. What's the purpose of the undercoat? The undercoat sticks really well to the raw timber and the top coat sticks really well to the undercoat. In other words, you've got to have a glue in between the two. And this is why faith and hope are two entirely different things and one gives you the other. And it's like one has the function of finding God within and the other has the function of finding God above and bringing it all together. Real case of deep calls under deep as the scriptures might say. Anyway, more of that another time. What I'm saying is they're not the same thing but it's hugely important that you got the lot. Faith is meant to give you great hope. But let me tell you, if hope fades and hope is gone, faith is often in a wilderness and it, it, that candle burns very low. You know, anyway, some other time. That was last week. But now peace comes into the picture. Let's read this again. Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we've also obtained access by faith into this grace in which we stand and we rejoice in hope of the glory of God. And the following sentences, not only that, but we rejoice in our sufferings. And if you know how much good they're doing you, you will rejoice in them. I used to hate it when things went wrong or a big problem came up and it looked awful, looked deadly. You know, it looked like this thing was out to kill you. But after a lot of those, I came to the place in life where something would happen. I think, oh, you beauty, we're about to learn something wonderful. You know, pray into this, seek the Lord. We get the word. Oh, I'll have something great to teach all over the world then that everybody needs to know about. You know? <laughs> so you started to see it as a blessing, even though it, you had to go th- deal with this horrible thing. So knowing suffering produces endurance, and endurance produces character, and character produces, guess what? The very thing we need, hope. And hope does not put us to shame because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit has been given to us. Man, there's a lot here, but time's running out. So I bring you, uh, as we uh, close here in a minute, to this wonderful, wonderful promise that we find back with our friend Isaiah, still speaking 700 years before Jesus. He passed on to us 
Just remember, Christ had not yet come. Christ had not yet died. There had not yet been the suffering of Christ, the death of Christ, the resurrection of Christ, the ascension of Christ, the glorification of Christ, things that we all have present tense. But 700 years before, looking forward to the day when the eternal covenant of peace would be put in place and knowing fine well that what the Lord put in place or would put in place later, the eternal quality of of it was such that they could get the benefit of it then. That's an astounding thing. It wasn't just the law. If you you read the law with faith, it came alive for you. It was a gift of God to them. Well, here's what Isaiah said. For the mountains may depart and the hills be removed. And my steadfast love, but my steadfast love shall not depart from you. And my covenant of peace shall not be removed, says the Lord, who has compassion on you. Isn't that good? The eternal covenant, remember, is called the covenant of peace. We have peace with God through our Lord Jesus. And it's a wonderful thing. It does a great deal for us. And um, I think rejoice in Christ your peace. Remember, Jehovah, Shalom, Christ our peace. That's why it's all about Christmas. Uh, This gift was brought to us, peace on earth with all whom God is pleased. Well, we were in a series on the book of Hebrews, which we've interrupted. Christmas has interrupted our series. But we can't close without our final verse being a benediction from the book of Hebrews, just so we kind of keep the theme alive. So you ready? Here is a little icing on the cake from the book of Hebrews, after which we shall pray. Hebrews 13. Now may the God of peace, who brought again from the dead our Lord Jesus, the great shepherd of the sheep, by the blood of the eternal covenant, equip you, with everything good that you may do his will, working in us that which is pleasing in his sight. Through Jesus Christ, to whom be glory forever and ever. Amen. So may the God of peace, who brought again from the dead our Lord Jesus, equip you with everything good for doing what is pleasing in his sight. The God of peace is with us. The Prince of Peace is with us. The covenant of peace is upon us. The gospel of peace holds us and it will never be removed. So put your faith all the more in the Lord Jesus. Um, I'll get the band to come and uh, you guys can get ready. Uh, Then when you're ready, uh, no, no. <laughs> uh, up to you. Sing whatever you want in a minute. But we'll just let them get organized. But then you and I, we're going to get in the spirit of prayer for a few minutes. Because you can't know these truths and, and not you know, give the heart, not respond. Because the trick, as always. Listen, listen, there are a lot of people who sit in churches, but they're not moved. What is the difference? Some, some people, oh, you know, and they'll worship God. 
and others will sing there and, and mutter through the songs, you know, not, not be moved much. What's the difference? The difference is whether you've experienced him. If you find yourself not that moved, you'd better make it your prayer, Lord, I need to know you. I need to experience you. You must experience the Lord Jesus. There must be the giving of the heart and the crying out to God and he will start pouring into you riches, including this special thing called peace. It's a wonderful grace. It's a wonderful anointing. It's powerful and it changes life completely. So you ready to pray? Bow your heads with me. I want you to make sure that your heart is his. You've given the heart that within you there is an acknowledgement that Christ is Lord and you want him. There's no one else. There's no hope in anyone else. There's no salvation. There's no forgiveness found in anyone else. It is Jesus. Every heart now, take hold of Jesus. Thank God the Father for the Son of God. And those who don't know him enough, now, right now, ask the Lord to make himself known to you and give your heart. Tell him your heart is his because he will give you his heart. And Father, I pray. Pray for everybody present, everyone online, everyone who will hear these words. And I ask that a great transaction would take place in the hearts of all of those who have not known you that today they will find the way of peace. They'll find the way of salvation in Christ Jesus. They'll find Jesus. Holy Spirit, take a hold of every heart that has not yet been moved to know the Lord. Transform them. May Christmas hope and Christmas joy, Christmas peace come to every one of them because Christ will come. Holy Spirit, come and Put within the heart of every last person here today the call of God Almighty. Lord, remember when your call came to me, just in the giving in, the yielding of the heart, how much transformation there was. Let the call of God come right now to every one of these here, but Lord, even to people who are not here, even to people who never will never hear these words, I think of that right now. In this city, in Rockhampton, and in other places, the call of God comes to them right now because we are praying that the power of the Lord go out, the spirit of the Lord speak, the hand of the Lord take hold of hearts. May thousands turn to him today. And Lord, hear. I pray that salvation would come to the house of some of those who are sitting here today, and especially our young people. May our teenagers, may our children know the Lord. Find the Lord, experience the Lord. And so, Lord, your salvation today come to every heart. And to everyone else, in the spirit of prayer, ask the Lord to make 
his own heart so well known to you. For the Lord to give you depth of understanding. For the Lord to fully form in you the mind of Christ. And for your Christmas this year. To be so filled with the, the wonder and the amazement of really knowing the things of God. May the scriptures come alive to you. Lord Jesus, do all of these things for the heart of your people. I bless them. I bless the people of peace in Jesus' holy name. Amen. Now the grace of God be with every one of you, the God of peace. Equip you with everything good for doing his will. Amen.